Today it seems that we've come to a point where we don't believe in anything anymore, not even ourselves or God. You do that are here tonight, but I'm talking about the majority of Americans. And something has happened to our moral life. The bottom has dropped out, and we need a revival. We, we need an outpouring of the Spirit of God, and we need Jesus to be lifted up so that people will be conscious only of Him. And tonight, I want to talk about Jesus Christ. I want to ask the question, who is Jesus? Many of us have crosses in, embossed on our Bibles or on our carrying around our neck but we don't really know Jesus. And Saturday night, I want to speak primarily to young people, but I think you are all young here tonight from what I can see <laughs> and from what I can hear. I've been back there watching it on television because they have it in the little room that they have for me back there in the locker room where I think the, where I think the visiting team comes. Maybe that's where the Jaguars and the Panthers go. <laughs> but we're here tonight with the Titans. And congratulations to all of you for having them here. And this great Coliseum Stadium here tonight. I came in here the other day and I couldn't believe my eyes. I remember being at Vanderbilt and what wonderful times we had there. But my. You have outdone yourselves in this stadium. I've been in all the great stadiums in the country, and I don't think there's a stadium in the country comparable to this one, because you learn from the mistakes of the other stadiums. You know, when you fly into Brazil, into Rio de Janeiro, there's a great big statue of Jesus. It's a landmark of Rio day and night. It stands 130 feet high. It's 130 feet from fingertip to fingertip with his arms outstretched. Someone has called this, in this country, the Year of Jesus. One of the networks recently ran a mini-series on Jesus. My daughter has written a book called Just Give Me Jesus. There's a movement among teenagers that asks the question, what would Jesus do? Almost everybody has heard of Jesus, but millions don't know, really know who He is. They don't have Him in their lives and in their hearts. And the world today is looking for a Messiah to come and save us. Many years ago, the prophet Ezekiel said, I searched for a man among them, but I found none. In other words, God was searching for someone that He could put His hand on and bless and use, and he couldn't find anybody that was willing to totally surrender and commit their lives to him. The world today, if you read the newspapers and watch the telecast, news telecast, is rushing madly toward, I think, Armageddon. Tonight in the Middle East, they're battling again over the same things they've battled for hundreds of years. But no one has been able to settle that problem for centuries. They've had meeting after meeting and 
truce after truce and treaty after treaty and promises made by all around, but somehow they can't quit their fighting. You see, man is a moral failure. God is our only hope. God's plans God's plans are already formed and are clearly stated in the scriptures. And at his right hand in heaven sits a man who was despised and ignored and rejected by men when he came to earth the first time and who is still rejected and ignored by the majority of the human race. God has pledged that he will be the future world ruler. He will put down all rule and all authority and power. There's coming a day when every knee will bow to him and every tongue will confess his name. He is coming, and that is the hope of the world. And the, and the, Bible, the Bible says that every knee is going to bow and every tongue confess him. This year, 2000 AD, the calendar we use each day dates back to the birth of Jesus. We can't get away from him. Our generation cannot escape Jesus. Over the years, so many plays and books and operas and movies have been made about Jesus. In March and April, both Newsweek and U.S. News and World Report magazines had cover stories about him. In its Science and Ideas cover story, U.S. News carried the title, Why Did Jesus Die? Why is there so much interest in Jesus today? Is that the question you've asked? Who is this person who has done so much to transform human history than any man that ever lived? He only lived 33 years. His longest journey was less than 100 miles. Is he just a folk hero or a revolutionary? Or is, who he, is he who he claimed to be, the son of the living God? Who is this person that demands we call him son of God and follow him even to death? We know he was a man. He was completely human. He was the representative man. He was the all-out man. He was identified and numbered with the transgressors, the scripture says. Eighty-three times in the New Testament, he's called the Son of Man. There are many places in the scriptures where we are reminded of his humanity. The Bible teaches that he was hungry. The Bible teaches that he was tired. In the back of a boat, he was asleep. He knew the joys of friendship. He was misunderstood and despised. He wept at the tomb of a loved one. He had to fight temptation and endure disappointment. He has in every respect been tempted as we are. Think of it. Do you believe Jesus was tempted in everything? Yes. He claimed to be the unique Son of God. Before the world ever was or before the human race ever existed, he said in the beginning was the Word and the Word was with God and the Word was God. And Jesus said before Abraham was, I am. With these words, Jesus set himself aside from every other person that ever lived. In other words, Jesus said, before Abraham was born, I always am the eternal present, 
There's no past with Jesus and there's no future with Jesus. It's all in the ever present. And he's speaking to you tonight and he's speaking to all of us collectively and individually. In Colossians 1 it says, For by him were all things created that are in heaven and that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created by him and for him. And he is before all things and by him all things hold together. This podium would fly to pieces were it not for the fact that Jesus is holding it together. This whole stadium would fly to pieces were it not for the fact that he is the thing that holds it together. Peter's statement in Matthew 16, 16, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. When he came at Bethlehem, that was not his birth or his beginning. He had already, already existed. That was his incarnation. When Jesus came to Bethlehem, it wasn't the place of his origin. It was his incarnation. And the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us. You know, it's interesting to me that Jesus never apologized for sin. He challenged others to prove any error in his thinking or in anything that he ever did. How do we explain Jesus from every other individual that ever lived? How do we explain Jesus from every other person? What is the basic cause of hate and greed and lust and war today and racial injustice and racial division? Jeremiah said, gave the answer. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? King David said, in sin did my mother conceive me. I was born in sin, said David. He said, I was shapen in iniquity. The Bible says in Matthew 15, for out of the heart proceed evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornications, thefts, false witness, and blasphemies. I think we need to do something about guns, but that's not the real problem. The real deep problem is in our hearts. For out of the heart proceed evil thoughts. and murders, and adulteries, and thefts, and blasphemies. All of these things come from the heart of men and women. How do you explain Jesus? His authority. No one ever spoke as this man spoke, says John 7. He forgave sin. No other prophet had ever forgiven sin. Muhammad didn't attempt that. Buddha didn't do that. No one else in history has ever said your sins are forgiven. He also had authority over nature. When the sea was boiling and the storm was raging, he just held up his hand and said, peace be still, and the sea quieted down and the storm stopped. He had authority over disease. Every sick person that ever came to him by faith, and he touched, he healed. But what about his death? Different than any other person that ever was. You see, Jesus was executed. He was a criminal. He took our sins. He became sin for us who knew no sin. Can you imagine a person being the embodiment of sin? That's what Jesus was on the cross. 
The lightning flashed. The thunder roared. Darkness settled on the earth. The soldiers confessed that this must be the Son of God. Many people wear a cross around their necks, but they don't realize the significance of what they're doing. That's a place of execution. It's a place where the Romans executed their criminals. It's like carrying around an electric chair around your neck. It's a place of execution. Isaiah 53 says, God hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. In 1 Peter 2.24 it says, Who his own self bear our sins in his body on the tree. Micah says that all of our sins are cast into the depths of the sea, the scripture says, because of what Christ did on the cross. He became sin for us. He was executed for you. He took your judgment and your hell. You won't ever have to go to hell. You don't ever have to go before the great white throne judgment if you're in Christ. But everybody else will. The Bible says that there's coming a day when he's going to judge the whole world. And you will stand before God at the great judgment, hundreds of you that are here tonight. And you won't stand with a great crowd like this tonight. You say, oh, we'll have a good time when we get there. No, you'll be alone. You're going to stand before God alone and give an account of what you did with Jesus and how you lived your life. And many of us are going to be terribly disappointed. And we're going to scream for mercy. But it's going to be too late. 